So yesterday, I think for the first time in my life, I, I did something I've never done, or at least that I can't recall doing uh, to that degree. Yesterday, I actually made it a point to schedule my day around watching a preseason NFL game. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't care about the preseason. You know, it's still baseball season, at least until the Cardinals get eliminated or until they're not good anymore and they're in first place right now. So it's still baseball season, but I made a point to go watch uh, an NFL preseason game yesterday. And it was so funny. We're over with some friends and uh, we got there a little late. My wife didn't quite understand how preseason works. I'm like, you know, if we don't get there, we might not watch any of Mahomes throw the ball or, you know, Kelsey in the game or some of the main stars. And so, you know, mostly we watch the second stringers, and then kind of in the fourth quarter, they're driving down to score, and some guy makes a really great catch, and she goes, who's that, that number 29? I'm like, it doesn't matter, he won't be on the team next week anyway, so um, that's kind of how preseason works, right? So uh, it, it's great. Well, we're glad that you're here with us. If you're here in person, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here. We've been in this series the last few weeks called Finding God's Will. And you might recall a couple weeks ago, I showed you this picture, and I asked you how many of you used to have a TV like this, where you had to adjust the rabbit ears to get reception, and, and that's how TV works. Like, you just had to try and tune it in just right so you could get a clear picture. And nowadays, what do we have? We have massive flat screen, high definition TVs that most are streaming, uh, you know, through an internet signal or, or through a, a cell signal, and you get a great clear picture so long as you are close to a good source for that signal. And that's such a great metaphor for us, trying to find what God's will for our life is, that the closer we can get in tune with God, the better our picture is going to be. Uh, this has kind of been our theme verse through this series, but I, I told you this verse from Ephesians chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago when we talk about God having a will for our lives, when Paul says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We believe by, by saying that, that not only does God have a plan and a will for your life, but it's really in line with how God created you and wired you and designed you. Uh, in other words, you, you've heard me say this, you were created on purpose for a purpose. Like we all have something that God laid out there for us. And that's been the point of this series is to try to figure that out. So we talked about what God's will is. And then last week, Brad started off talking about the first of three avenues that God's given us to hear his will. He talked about using the Bible. We, we called it the clearest path to finding God's will and how throughout the Bible, we'll find all sorts of clues to God's will. And we told you this, this last week, that God's moral will will never contradict God's word. I said that in week one. Brad said it last week. Actually, Brad told you last week that I stole that line from him because he said that he had his sermon written for week two before I had mine written for week one. Well, there's a little bit of truth to that, okay? He did have his sermon written for that week before I had mine written, because I had preached two weeks in a row. So Brad didn't do anything for two weeks. He sat there and wrote a sermon. But what he also didn't tell you is that I preached my week one sermon four years ago. I stole that line from somebody else four years ago. So, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a preaching secret. We all have to trace back to who originally... At this point, we don't even know who wrote the line originally. So we all just claim that we stole it from each other. 
But we, we talked about using the Bible, and he used several examples in the Bible where it talks about God's will for our lives. But the Bible's also chocked full of people, just like you and me, who followed God's will despite not knowing what it was God had for them. They trusted him even when they couldn't see all the way down the road. Brad used this verse in Psalm 119 where it says, the word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And I thought about that a lot as he was talking about walking back in the dark from fishing. I, I like to go hunting in the fall and uh, we get there before it, the, the sunrise because you can start shooting 30 minutes before sunrise. So you get there in the dark and I'll wear that lamp on my head like you know, so many of us will wear for projects around the house or whatever. And I've always got it pointed down about five feet in front of me. Not all the way down the path, about five feet. Why? Because I want to make sure my next two steps are, are covered. I can see what's in front of me. The Bible kind of works the same way. God doesn't illuminate our entire path. I wish he did. But he illuminates one step at a time most often for us. And we have to trust him that we're following in that particular road. See, here's the thing, and, and, and I wish this wasn't the case, but it is. God doesn't give us our entire journey with complete clarity. Now, there are some people who have known their whole lives what they're supposed to do, but, but I can just tell you from my personal experience, God has not given me absolute clarity on everything that's going to come in my path. If he did, then I don't need to have faith. If I knew for a fact what was coming tomorrow, I don't need to have faith. And faith is required not just for knowing God's will, but for following God in general. And by its very definition, faith can't have certainty wrapped in with it. If I were to take two more steps, I can tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to take another step and fall off the stage. That's not faith. I don't need faith for that. That is certainty. But the writer of Hebrews defines faith as being certain of what we can't be certain about. In fact, he says it this way, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, I am not one that thinks the Bible contradicts itself. That's something skeptics say the Bible contradicts itself. It doesn't. But this verse is a walking contradiction. Because how can you have confidence in something you simply hope for? How can you be assured of something that you cannot see? You have to trust. That's what faith is. And it goes on in verse 6 to say, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Last week, again, we talked about the Bible being the clear path to finding God's will. Today, we're going to talk about what we call the fast track, which is listening for God's will through each other, through, through God's people. Because here's kind of the thing that we need to understand when it comes to learning God's will. While he doesn't always show us definitively what we're supposed to do, he always gives us the wisdom to learn it, to hear it, and to decide. The catch, like I've told you before, is that God doesn't always just make it black and white for you. I've never had that flashing neon sign. I've never audibly heard God speak into my ears. So most often for me, in my own personal experience, finding out what God has in store for me comes from listening to people just like you all. It comes from listening to God's people. Often they don't even realize they're talking to me on behalf of God but they've allowed themselves to be used by God and something will be said through somebody else and I'm thinking, you didn't know that you were supposed to tell me that. And you didn't probably even realize what you just told me, but I just heard something I've been waiting to hear. To kind of illustrate this, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 12. If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, that's where we'll be. We'll have it up here on the screens if you don't. But 1 Kings chapter 12, we're going to read a story about a guy named Rehoboam 
and see how exactly he utilized listening to godly people and listening to other people to make a decision. First Kings chapter 12 starts this way. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. little context here. We'll push pause. He's the first king of Israel after the big three. You know, there's the history of Israel where they didn't have a king throughout the whole book of Judges, and they want a king, so God gives them Saul. Saul's their king for 40 years, and then David is their king for 40 years, and then David's son Solomon is their king for 40 years. And we read about David and Saul in First and Second Samuel. We read about Solomon in the first 11 chapters of First Kings. Solomon, at the end of his rule, became harsh and, and really ruled kind of with an iron fist there in, in Israel. And so that kind of sets the context for where we're going to go with this story about Rehoboam. Verse 4, it says, your, uh, they, they came to him, Israel came to him, and they said, Your father put a heavy yoke on us. Now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Now, let's pause it again, because on the surface, this looks like a pretty simple thing for Rehoboam to do. But it's not as black and white as you might think. It would be easy to say, well, he should just lighten the load. He should make it easier for them. It's not that simple. Because, you see, if he does that, what he's basically saying is, you know what? My father was wrong. And in this culture, that was a shameful thing to do. Maybe some of you have taken over a business. You've inherited a business that your parents started. Or maybe, maybe you're a little older. You've handed a business down to your kids. You've handed something down to somebody you mentored or, or somebody that you cared about. There's an awkwardness in that because at some point a decision has to be made by the next generation that's different than the previous generation made. And there's that thought that, you know what, if I do this differently, am I dishonoring the one who came before me? Am I dishonoring my father by saying, you know what, you were wrong with how you did this. I'm going to do it the right way. But yet on the other side of that coin, what his father was doing was wrong. And he had the opportunity to right the wrong but it still wasn't just simply an easy call for Rehoboam. And what we're going to see in the following verses to come is how he listened to certain people and listened to other certain people and how that shaped Israel to follow. But what we find in this is kind of one real strong theme for the whole sermon today is that godly people are often a megaphone for God's voice. And the, the trick is knowing when and how to listen. Knowing when and how to tune in and have your ears ready so that you can hear God through one of his people. And, and so what we're going to do is look from the story of Rehoboam at four keys, at four steps to hear God's voice so we can hear God's will by listening to God's people. Because see, here's the catch. If you're like me, often I don't always catch it right when it's said. Sometimes I'll go home, I'll be kind of thinking about that conversation, and something will hit me like, man, when they said such and such, that, and then I heard this from somebody else too, like, and then I heard maybe a third person kind of say something similar, like, okay, now maybe God's starting to tell me something here. So you don't always catch it there in the moment. So what we're going to do is, again, look at these four keys, these four steps to help you understand how to hear God's voice from God's people to understand God's will. Here's the first step. Never rush into anything you're told. Now, this is one that some people don't want to hear that, but don't rush into it. Again, he's just been told you should change what your father was doing. Verse 5, Rehoboam answers them, go away for three days and then come back to me. 
So the people went away. Basically, he's like, you know what? I need the weekend to think about this. That's not a bad thing. Because there are some times that you need to take your time in making a decision. I am one that I like to take my time making decisions. I process, probably overthink things. I overprocess at times, but I want to run through every possibility. I want to run through every scenario in my head so that I can see all the possibilities of things that might work or that might go wrong. And part of it is just I don't like to fail. I'm not afraid to fail. I just don't like to fail. I'd rather get it right the first time. And if I am going to fail, I want to make sure I don't fail in a way that that hurts everybody around me or destroys the organization, I want to fail forward, a way that we can learn and grow and get better. It's kind of funny because I, I process so much that it drives my wife crazy. She is a little bit more of a grab-the-bull-by-the-horns the kind uh, of person. Uh, she's not as much as she used to be, but I, I joke with her that she's more of a ready-fire-aim uh, type of, of personality. When we were in Phoenix several years ago, we were on a, a project that the church did this really cool thing where they partnered with local uh, police departments and city organizations, and if a, a house was run down or in disrepair and violation of city code, basically we told the, the, the departments, hey, don't not do your job. Go give them a code warning, but then call us right after that, and we'll come take care of it. And, and so we go out to do this, uh, this yard cleanup for this couple. It was a disabled veteran and a, a wife that was in poor health, and they couldn't afford to take care of it on their own. So we've got a crew of like 25 of us that go out there just to do a lot of lawn cleanup. Um, and it's Phoenix. You don't really mow lawns, so you're like weed-eating the whole lawn, you know, kind of thing. But trees are overgrown and falling over the fences. And we get out there, and we had a guy named Dan who was in charge of the whole crew. He was in charge of the project. And I couldn't remember what Dan had told us when it came to the trees. I thought he had said to trim them back, but I wanted to make sure. I was the one that got put in charge of the chainsaw. I was the only one who knew how to use a chainsaw, or so I thought, on that particular trip. And so I'm like, i got to find Dan. Because I, I don't remember if he said we're just trimming the trees back, if we're cutting them off at fence level, if we're you know, just pruning them, if we're cutting them down. I don't, I don't know what we're doing. i got to find Dan. And so I'm looking around, and, and Jennifer, after a few minutes, goes, are you going to do anything, or are you just going to stand here? I'm like, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to find Dan so I can know what to do and know how to do this job. And uh, so finally, I, I, after about 15 minutes, I track him down. He's like, yeah, you, they just wanted him trimmed back. They just wanted him, you know, shaped up a little bit, trimmed back as best you can. I come back to the backyard, and the trees are all completely cut down at ground level. <laughs> Guess who's holding the chainsaw? My, my lovely wife is holding the chainsaw. And I said, what did you do? She was, your job. I said, no, you didn't. <laughs> we weren't supposed to cut them down. And she goes, well, somebody should have told me. I said, I was trying to tell you. Sometimes you've got to think through the plan. And, and she was like, well, it's done. They can thank me later. And, you know, <laughs> now you, you think about this, and, and, and I, I, I pick on my wife, but let's say we are on the way home today, and we come across, you know, God forbid, a, a car wreck, or we come across you know, somebody in desperate need of help, or you go across a house that's on fire and you see somebody in there, they probably don't want me sitting there going, okay, let's think about what's the best way to get up there to them for 30 or 40 minutes trying to figure this out. You, know, you need somebody just to go get them, right? You need somebody just to charge that hill and do that. There's a time and a place for everything. But when it comes to a major decision like this, sometimes it's best to push pause. It's best to take that step back and to give Rehoboam some credit here, there's not a lot of credit you can give Rehoboam over the course of his story, but to give him some credit here, he wanted to make the right decision. 
at least initially. So he pushed pause. He didn't rush in. And that's a key to listening to godly people is knowing when to push the pause button. And I think a simple rule of thumb for this that we can put into our minds is the bigger the decision, the longer you should probably wait. If this is a financial decision, you go to Walmart later and you're looking at loaves of bread, you probably don't need to take a week to decide, am I going to spend $2 or $3 on these? You're going to go buy a brand new car, you might want to stop and think that one through a little bit more. So the bigger the decision, the longer you should probably wait to make that decision. Here's rule number two. You should seek the advice of godly people with experience. Seek the advice of godly people with experience. Continue on in the story here. Verse 6. Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. He asked them, how would you advise me to answer these people? This is probably the smartest thing Rehoboam does in this entire story. Because it's not just asking advice, but specifically the elders who were there serving during Solomon. Uh, Jennifer and I just started re-watching the the show The Crown on Netflix. If you've seen that, it's about how Queen Elizabeth becomes the queen. Not just Elizabeth, but the queen. And she's getting advice from her grandmother and her mom and from these guys who served her father and her grandfather on what it means to actually be the crown, not just be yourself, but you're representing something more. And she, she learns that sometimes she has to make decisions that she herself doesn't want to, but she's representing something else now. When I was in Bible college, I had a, a class on leadership, and one of the things he told us in that class is, you may get put in a position where day one you're in charge, and you have to remember you can only see as far into the future as you can see into the past. So if you've been there for one day, you can see one day into the past, you can see one day into the future. He said, so what do you do? You stand on the shoulders of your elders, those who have been there for a long time, those who have served other pastors, those who have been there with, throughout the history of the church. And if you can stand on their shoulders and they can see a lot further into the past, you can see a lot further into the future. And I can tell you, for me, that's been probably the best advice I have ever gotten on leadership, simply because I know coming in day one, I don't have this figured out. <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to without being able to climb on top of the shoulders of our elders or of Brad or, or of the other people who have been here. Some of you who have been here for decades, been here for so long. That helps me to lean into you all because you can see further back. Helps me to see further forward. We think about this because, again, these men that he is consulting in the story here served Solomon. Solomon is referred to as the wisest person who ever lived. And in his wisdom, Solomon wrote these words in Proverbs 15, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. So let me ask you a question. For everybody, regardless of your age right now, who do you tend to go to to ask advice for moments in life? Who do you go to? I know one of the easiest ones to go to and run to are our friends, are people who are in the same spot of life we are. Let me just tell you, Sometimes that's the worst people to ask. If you're a new parent, the worst person to ask for advice is another new parent because they have no idea what they're doing either. Okay? I, and I'm just, just being honest with you here. If you're a newlywed, going to ask somebody who just got married a week before you did, probably not the best advice. For me, when I think about asking older people, often I don't look necessarily at age as a mark of, of being older. I look at somebody who is one phase of life ahead of us. 
When we had kids, I didn't necessarily go ask all of our parents all the time for advice. I was asking those who had kids like four or five years before we did because they weren't too far out of the stage of life that we were in. And I, and I see so many times how, how my wife especially will embrace a new mom and when she sees that their child is just crying, she'll tell them, it's okay. Sometimes they just need to cry. Because I think back to when Elsie was three days old and we had her at home and my wife was just exasperated and exhausted because Elsie had cried for three days straight almost. And I told her, I said, go in the other room, I'll take her. And I was just begging her, please stop crying. I don't know what to do. Like, you didn't come with a manual. I, I don't know what to do here. And some of our friends who... We called our parents, of course. Well, they just cry sometimes. Like, that's not helpful. She's crying right now. <laughs> One of our friends who had had a baby several months earlier said, hey, there's this wonderful thing called gripe water. Her belly probably just hurts. I'm like, oh, this stuff's like a magic potion. It worked perfectly. Thank you, you know. Like, that's a, a great spot to go. And, and I see my wife embrace a young mother whose child is in the same stage. Said, hey, it's okay. It's okay. You're still a good mom. Your kids are fine. We embrace this. We often look for people that we can lean into to get advice from. But let me just ask you a question here. Who is it that you think struggles the most receiving godly advice from experienced people? Who do you think it is? Here, I'll give you some options. Out of these groups, who do you think probably struggles the most at seeking godly experienced advice? And you could take that first one really and say the under 30 crowd the over 60 crowd, the very wealthy, or a top-level leader. By top-level leader, I basically just mean somebody who is like in an executive position with their organization or company. Well, the answer, if you're curious, I think, probably all the above, for different reasons. The under 30 crowd, you got something to prove. You got to show people that you can do it, that you're not just there because your parents put you there. And if you're going to fail, you're going to fail on your terms. The over 60 crowd, why? You don't need a 40-year-old telling you what to do. <laughs> you don't need, I can relate to this because I have somebody that's about 30, 35 come up to me and give me advice. I'm like, who do you think you are? You haven't lived the life I've lived. I've got 10 years on you, you know? You, know, you, you have a harder time with people younger than you giving you advice. The very wealthy, they don't need help. They don't, they don't need assistance. They can take care of everything on their own top-level leader, I can just tell you from, from my experience as a pastor, one of the reasons I have a hard time asking advice, I don't like to tell people that I don't have it figured out. I, I was just being honest with you. Now, I don't have it figured out, but I don't like to admit it in that particular moment. I don't like to admit, hey, I don't know what to do with this situation. And I can tell you that's where it's been so nice for me to have Brad here, have the elders here, have, have a staff that's experienced here, to have pastors outside of this church that have experience that I can go to because they can relate exactly with what I'm dealing with. And they've failed like I have failed in, in many different ways. But we all have our moments where we struggle to get good advice from experienced godly people. Who do you think is one of the best sources to get advice from? I, I know for me, one of the best sources I can go to is my wife. A godly spouse is one of the best sources to go to. Jennifer and I discuss almost every major thing that we're going to do. We discuss many minor things that we're going to do. Now, one of the problems is at times we both have a hard time telling each other no, 
but we discuss everything that, that we have out there in front of us. Why? Because we want to make sure that we're on the same page. We want to make sure that we are individually following God's will so we can collectively follow God's will, so that we can have God-centered in our home, so that our kids can be raised in a God-centered and God-focused home. And maybe for some of you, you're not married yet. Or maybe you want advice outside of your spouse. A godly parent is a great source of advice. But let me give you a condition on a godly parent. You need to make sure they can stay objective. Because one of the worst things you can seek out your parents for is when you start having strife with your spouse. Because your parents are likely to take sides. No matter how much they love you, they're likely to take sides. So, so I look at my parents. I've got my mom my dad are phenomenal. Couldn't have asked for better parents. They divorced when I was 18. They've since remarried, and I've been blessed to have two bonus parents to go along with my two. And I can tell you my stepdad is one of the best people to ask advice for because he can be right down the middle. He can give you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. And he does it in love, and he does it rooted in God's word because he wants what's best for you, but more than that, he wants what God wants for you and what he wants for us. So seek advice from godly people. Rehoboam does this, and they tell him in verse 7, if you today will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. That's the story to this point. He has pushed pause, and he has given it a moment, and he sought godly advice from godly people. What's our third key? Well, it's what we learned from Rehoboam with what comes next. The third key is this. You've got to swallow your pride if what you hear differs from what you want to do. This is where Rehoboam's story gets off the rails. Because in verse 8, it says, Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him, and he consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. Now, I want to put a little caveat, a little condition on this verse. Because when it says the young men there, don't read this and assume that God won't use young people to give you good advice. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, don't let people discount you, disregard you just because you're young. I know some people, I've got a friend in particular who's in his early 30s. He is one of the best leaders you will ever find, and he's about 31 years old. One of the wisest people you're going to find at 30, 31 years old. Don't discount people just because of their age. That's not what they're talking about here. The young people it's talking about, these are Rehoboam's boys. These are the guys he grew up with. These are people who will not tell him no. These are people who basically are kind of his, his entourage, if you want to call it that. And so they're basically telling him, hey, you don't have to let those people tell you what to do. Don't let them dictate how, do you, how you're going to do. You're the king. You do what you want to do. In fact, you know what? If they thought your father was harsh, you should show them who's really in charge. And that's exactly what Rehoboam does. He's even harsher than his father Solomon. He, he rules even harder than Solomon did. And as a result, you, you read in the coming verses and chapters that 11 of the 12 tribes of Israel break away and form a different nation. Because Rehoboam did what Rehoboam wanted to do. He couldn't swallow his pride and he couldn't just listen for God's voice. 
When I was coaching, I, I had my first team that I coached, we, we struggled. Man, we had one really, really good player, and then I had everybody else on the team. And uh, in particular, I had a lot of girls who either hadn't played soccer or hadn't played since they were little. And we kind of got this little false hope because my very first game that that stud player I had came out. I mean, like literally, she ended basketball on Wednesday, came to practice on Thursday, played on Friday. And she was only at practice for a few minutes because she had to turn all of her basketball gear that day before. Comes out, scores three goals, and we went three to one. I'm like, hey, I got this figured out. We're going to be all right. And uh, then we just got smoked our next several games. And I'm getting frustrated. My girls aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Like, man, we go over this and we go over this. How can you not get this? This is simple. I'm not asking you to do a lot. I'm asking you to be simple. And we had one game in particular, a home game. And I mean, I was just, I was frustrated with them. I was just ready to, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I cannot connect with them. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to get them to do what they're supposed to do. And we left the locker room. I'd walk back out to, to be out there during the boys game. And uh, my old coach sees me grabs me and pulls me over, and he goes, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. He goes, relax. He said, quit trying to make them be something that they're not, and you quit trying to be something that you're not. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you're trying to coach like me. You're not me. You're you. Coach like you. I looked, I think I looked up and said, that's the dumbest thing, Dave, I've ever heard. I said, just don't be coded. Tell me what to do. He goes, fine. He goes, treat them like who they are. I said, you would have never let us do that. You, you would have never let us have a practice where we could just go out and have fun or have a game where we can go out and have fun. I said, you demanded perfection out of us. You drilled into us. And we did these drills over and over and over until we got it right. And he goes, that's fine. They're not going to get there, though. So take a step back and evaluate what really matters with them. And I mean, I left that conversation, and I'm thinking, no. No, I'm not going to be a, a, a everything goes kind of coach. We're going to do things the right way. We're going to try to get better. And, and the more I went home that night, I, I didn't sleep much that night. I'm thinking, man, he's right. I don't want to do this, but he's right. And I went back to the team the next day and just said, hey, listen, I'm sorry that I've tried to make us into one of these Tulsa teams that plays year round. I said, so here's, here's our thing. We've got three goals for the rest of the year. I just want you to do your best every day. I want you to try to get better today than you were yesterday. And ultimately, I want you to have fun. I said, can we do that? And we went out and, you know, we didn't win the rest, all of our games. We won a handful. And we were competitive in the ones we lost. And it was just like a different atmosphere. And then they responded better. And, and I was like, man, I just had to swallow that because I wanted so much for this team just to, to get it, you know, and to click. And it, it took me changing me to get them to click. Sometimes you have to swallow your pride, especially if what you hear from a godly voice isn't what you yourself want to do. Here's the fourth key. The fourth key, if you want to hear God's voice from God's people to do God's will, you need to get immersed into a godly community. Uh, for this, we have our small group ministry. And actually, to talk about this in a little bit more depth, I've asked uh, Matt Richards to come out. Matt, if you don't know, is our children's pastor, but he's also our co-small uh, groups pastor along with Phil Sperling. So Matt's just going to share a bit about this as, as he Woo! goes.
You knew he was back there, right? You're not on. Do you want me just to lean in really close to you and you can talk through this? sense in our brains. There it comes. So I've got a slide here that has that roadmap on it. And we're going to call it a, a discipleship roadmap, where our small groups, we want them to fit into one or more of these categories. We want them to be relational. And relational is first because we think that in order for you to grow spiritually, both with our church and with your individual self, you have to have good relationships around you. Whether that be your spouse, like Kurt just got done talking about, or whether that be others around you, we think that you need good relationships. And not just good relationships, but solid, healthy Christian relationships. And we believe you can get those in our small groups. We also then, continuing down the road, we, we want you to develop spiritual, spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, praying, worshiping. And so one of the things, Brad's Fangman small group, he walks his small group through the Bible over the course of a year and teaches them how to read it and how to study it. And there's other groups that are walking, like Kurt's, Kurt's going to lead a small group this fall through the book of Ephesians. And just how to study Ephesians, what that means and what that looks like. And then we have, we want missional groups. We want groups that aren't just sitting in a classroom somewhere, but groups that are actually out serving our community. Uh, ben Sander, our worship pastor, he's leading a group where they're just meeting a couple times a month and they're just going out. They're not sitting in his house. They're not sitting in a classroom here at the building. They're just going out and serving people that they find. Maybe it's somebody's deck. Maybe it's somebody's yard. But they're going and they're serving and they're being missional. And then the last one is continual. Uh, because not only we want all of these things to continue, just like we want your spiritual growth to continue, it never stops. And, and then we have one tagline here at the bottom, bottom being disciplined to have a thriving and vibrant relationship with Jesus, and here's the purpose, so we can disciple the next generation. Men, women, moms, dads, grandpas, grandmas, aunts, uncles, we have kids, we have 20-somethings, we have 30-somethings, we have 40-somethings that want to be discipled. And we want not your small group not just to focus on your age group or your life group or wherever you are in your life. We want you to focus on taking that knowledge, taking that wisdom, and going to the next generation. Which is why we, we thought that was a big hindrance in what we were doing as a small group ministry. So that's why on Wednesday nights, what we are doing is we're providing childcare. And it's not just childcare, it's kids' ministry. 
and, and we want, we're going to put our kids in small groups while you're in small groups. So every Wednesday, every Wednesday small group is going to have programming for our kids and programming for our high schoolers. So we want you to be, be able to be involved with a small group while not worrying about your kids, while not sticking them in a basement with a, a 13-year-old babysitter. Or still, as I've done in some of my small groups, sticking them in the basement with no supervision. I'll admit it. I've done it. I'm the kid's pastor. I've done it. Okay? And there's stories from those small groups, like coming down to kids on top of the cat tower. Right? Like, okay? It, it's, it's, it's there. But we want you guys to know we care about you and your family. Uh, but part of that is we're building this ministry from scratch, and we need people to come alongside of us and come alongside of our small groups and hold babies on Wednesday nights, to play with preschoolers and teach preschoolers on Wednesday nights, and our elementary kids too, and our middle schoolers, even though they stink a little bit, and our high schoolers. And, and so we want you to come alongside all the next generation of kids and so if you're involved in a Tuesday small group or Kurtz is on Monday, maybe consider coming back on Wednesday with your small group and discipling the next generation. So we want you to be involved with that. Um, outside in the lobby, there are books on all the 15 small groups that we have. You can see the days, the nights. There's some during the day. There's some in the evenings. There's some on Wednesdays, Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays. There's some in homes. Most of them are right here at the church. But we want you to be involved. If you want to be considered, if you're a leader, or if you are in a small group and you want to be helpful to the next generation on Wednesday nights, please get in contact with me. Um, I'm building that team right now, and we would love to have you join that team if you're willing to invest in the next generation. So we want you, and, and uh, I'm looking over here at Matt. Uh, they've got two young girls. Hey, our goal on Wednesday nights is to start at 6, be done by 7.30, so you're home by 7.45 or 8 o'clock ready to put your kids, I know you guys put your kids to bed, even earlier than that, they're little, but you know, our goal is to get you home on a school night, ready to send your kids to bed, so they're ready for the next school day as well, so please consider any of those options, grab you a book, spend a week praying about it, like, like Rayoba, like in our sermon today, but Kurt, are, are you still, yeah, you're still around, so consider joining uh, a small group this, this fall. Yeah, I had time to go get a snack. Um, <laughs> grief. Matt was supposed to come. Phil wasn't allowed in the room, but he apparently snuck in anyway. So, Now, what Matt was saying, though, about our small groups and talking about discipleship. Discipleship is such an important aspect of listening to God's voice and listening to what God has for us. And we can all help each other in this process. One of the best things, and we're called to do this by Jesus, to make disciples is to lead people along this, this path. And these small groups, what are so interesting about these is, is there's so much just reciprocal nature to these. If I spend more time in my word and more time surrounded by godly people. It makes me a little stronger personally in my own walk, which 
makes my marriage a little stronger as, as well too. And then that in turn allows me to be a little stronger when I go to lead a small group that can just continue the cycle. But there's also a trickle down. We, we talked to the eight o'clock crowd about the senior saints crew who has been uh, doing in Bible studies ongoing for years. And then out of that group, there are, are men and women who go in different directions. And for example, when we go play golf or do basketball or these men's activities, we're hanging out with those guys and we're feeding off of that. And then we can take that into other groups. And it just there's just cycles and circles of being around godly people. And those are wonderful opportunities to hear from each other. Let me ask you a kind of a, a, a challenge, kind of a question today, because I think this applies to all of us when it comes to listening to God's voice to hear God's will. What's one area of your life that you need to hear God's will right now? And you notice I underlined the word need. I'm not asking you what's something you want to hear from God. What's something you think you need to hear? I don't care how old you are in the room today. If you're a teenager, if you're a middle schooler, high schooler, if you're young adult, if you're in the latter decade or two of, of, of life, you've lived life, you've retired, you've moved on, if you're still alive and breathing, God still has work for you to do. There is still something out there. We, we said this week, one, God's will is not a static thing. It's a dynamic thing. When you get to one point, there's another point out in front of you. God always has something else for, for us to grow. So what's one area of life, of your life, where you need to hear God's will? And here's kind of your takeaway challenge today. I want you to find one person you'll seek godly advice from this week. Find one person. And, and I, I want to kind of lay this out too as, as I was talking about this with the godly people with godly experience, is that all of us have the opportunity, if we use that stage of life model, to find somebody that can pour into us and somebody that we can pour into. We can find somebody that we can mentor. One of my my favorite pastors I, I had back in the last uh, you know, few decades used to always say, everybody needs a Paul and everybody needs a Timothy. Everybody needs somebody that we can lean into and somebody we can pour into. So pray that you find those, those people. Pray that you listen to those people, that you seek wisdom, but you also allow God to use you to be his voice to other people. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the community that we have around us, for the, 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 the church that we have around us, both this church and the big church. God, that we can utilize your people to hear you. God, I just pray for myself and for everybody that we would make ourselves available to be used by you, to be a voice for you, but also to we would have our ears tuned in to listen for you. God, I know so many of us are struggling to hear what you have in store for us right now. We're struggling to find out what you have in store for us right now. God, I just pray that we would pause when we need to pause. We would reflect when we need to reflect. We would seek counsel when we need to seek counsel. But God, more than anything, we would humble ourselves. We would humble ourselves to listen. God, we're so grateful for your son, and we pray this in his name. Amen.